Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Still Watching WandaVision. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what Richard and I have been doing for the last couple years uh, at this point, actually, uh, is picking, you know, one show at a time that we're kind of preoccupied with and breaking it down week to week on a, on a sort of granular level. We've We've done a bunch of different kinds of shows, uh, before, but this is like probably our geekiest endeavor, uh, as we, as we round the corner on the end of WandaVision and like full blown infinity stones and witches and everything come into play. Uh, we are talking this week about episode eight previously on, uh, is the title of the episode. Uh, it is a flashback episode. And yeah, so Richard and I are going to be digging into that, seeing how we feel about it, reading some emails. Um, and then in the back half of the show, I will be joined by our other Vanity Fair colleague, Anthony Bresnikin, to get a little, like a little deeper on some of the niche or comic book stuff. And also, um, I think in doing so, take a look at the possible like shockwaves and ramifications of what we learned in this episode for like the future of the MCU. So, uh, Richard, let us, maybe let's start with some emails. 
folks can always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I love all of your emails. We got an incredible Al Pacino impression this week. I don't know, that I may or may not include uh, in, in, in this episode for you to hear. Uh, it made my day. I love all of your theories. I love everything. Uh, so please send them, even though we only have one more episode to go, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, Richard, what, what emails do you want to look at this week? Well, first off, I mean, I feel like I am the most powerful witch in the universe that I can summon just celebrity impressions <laughs> just by asking for them on this podcast. I mean, that's, uh, I, I feel <laughs> drunk with power. Um, so thank you for, uh, for that. Um, so the first email I thought was kind of a fun, uh, sort of supposition. Um, this is from Ross in Melbourne, Australia. Um, he says, love the show. Listen while I'm meant to be looking after my kids. Only one ear plug in, so it's all good. Half-assed parenting is better than no parenting. Uh, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> so, uh, Ross goes on to say, to ask, um, so is the actor that Paul Bettany has been promising that he has always wanted to work with, etc., been himself all along? Bettany versus Bettany. If that's true, then it's excellent trolling and pretty funny from him, but I still would have preferred Al Pacino as Mephisto. So... <laughs> I think what Ross is referring yeah. to is that like we see this other vision, whatever that is, open its eyes at the yeah. end of the episode. Um, and so maybe, yeah, maybe Bettany was like kind of being a bit cheeky, uh, in suggesting that his most desired, um, screen partner is himself. We're going to talk about how high I am on the Al Pacino Mephisto nightmare question uh, in our next email. So I will leave that for that and just say right now that um, I, it would be hilarious. Um, I think that is what a lot of people think is going on now. Um, it would be so, I would, I would laugh honestly all day and I would not regret a single second I spent trying to figure out what he meant by it. Um, I think that would be hilarious. I don't think that's the kind of uh, person Paul Bettany is. She, my guess is that there's still someone coming, whether or not it's a Pacino level Mephisto thing or something else, um, we can discuss, but, um, but it would be funny. I, 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 and that's the thing, like, that's the thing I want to say about like, um, theorizing. Um, I used to get stressed when my theories didn't pan out and I felt like foolish for guessing at them. And I just don't feel that way anymore. I think it's just fun to guess and think and suppose. And if you're wrong, you're wrong and who cares, you know, and if you're right, that's, uh, you know, cherry on top. So, so there you go. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, half the fun is just kind of like fucking exactly. around and wondering, yeah. you know, um, I think I was talking last week about like how oftentimes with these shows, like, uh, it is just what they show us, you exactly. know? Um, yeah. and that's fine if that literally turns out to be true, but, um, you know, we're all sort of starved for excitement <laughs> and fun, a fun kind yeah. of debate, you know, uh, right now. It's, so it's, why not? Uh, it's wonder um, vision. We're, we're wondering what's going yeah. on. Um, <laughs> do you want to pause and talk yeah. about the, the white figure at the end of the episode? Or do you want to do that after the next email? Um, let's okay. do it after the next email. Cause I think we can, they can all sort of tie into like, what is the big thing that this mm, show is okay. moving toward? If, Perfect. if anything. Um, so Anne, uh, writes to us, uh, hi, Joanna and Richard with the reveal of Agatha, Har Agatha Harkness in the breaking the fourth wall episode. Why am I waiting for a big, bad male villain to be revealed? There's all the hints and Easter eggs, but Catherine Hahn is Agnes slash Agatha is super evil. She killed a puppy. 
do we need more? I love that Agatha Harkness is more like a soap opera villain than a Thanos. The military tones of the Marvel movies are exhausting. This show resonates with my love of campy mysteries like Riverdale, Lost, etc. So I, I think that's an interesting question, not only for the uh, text of WandaVision, but in a broader sense of like, why are we expecting something else? You know, um, yes, we've been trained in escalation, mm-hmm. like th- by, by this movie series and stuff. Um, and I think the maleness, like f- for sure comes into play. We are not, we, I think the MCU has only had what, like one main female villain. I think Kate, right? uh, in Ragnarok. Yeah. And like, it was supposed to be Rebecca Hall in right. Iron Man three. Right? right. And that, but they mm-hmm. changed that. There've been like, you know, Proxima Midnight. There have been other like bad. I'm obsessed with how many times you talk but... about Proxima Midnight in your love for Carrie Coon. I'm just, I love, I love it. Well, she pays me <laughs> per mention. So with that Chicago mm. theater money, <laughs> that Tracy um, Letts money. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that Tracy Letts Skrilla. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, I, 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 I think maybe it just is Agnes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this episode, what it does interestingly is it doesn't make her an outright, let me destroy the world villain. She's more just kind of like covetous of whatever it is that Wanda has. And then in the flashbacks comes to realize something profound, which I don't really understand the profundity of, but that she is some sort of figure, the Scarlet Witch who has been, I don't know, prophesied or something. She's part of lore or something. Um, So I kind of wonder if it's not, this is a series that, doesn't really have like a big bad villain, but instead uh, is just about two lonely and in, in different ways, grieving characters. I mean, we see Agnes kill her mother uh, in the beginning of this episode, uh, basically just trying to wrestle control of um, a powerful uh, mechanism for expressing grief. Yeah, I suppose, like, you know, when I thought about a different layer, and, and I really loved that we got this email, and we got that email well before this week's episode. So, um, you know, sort of right off, uh, hot off the presses after our podcast last week. And, um, I, I appreciated this, like, call out of, like, why am I, why am I looking constantly for, like, this shadowy male figure controlling everything. Um, is that some sort of internalized misogyny or whatever? Um, I, I think there are a couple ways this could have played out to satisfy me. Um, it could have happened that if there were, if there were or still is another layer, it's more interesting to me to, as you say, think of these two women as women who have shared a trauma or women who have, you know, both been manipulated or women, you know, and, and then bonding together, uh, in that, um, something about that appeals to me. But once again, maybe that's, maybe that's me being unwilling to just like enjoy, uh, an out and out female villain. That being said, I think Jack Schaefer, you know, who wrote, who wrote this, um, whole series or, you know, oversaw the writing of the whole series, um, has always been interested in villains who are, much more complicated and you know and and the marvel universe to its credit um has been moving closer to that i think i think they did a good job with thanos um for all that you know he wanted to snap half the world's population there was some you know some 
slight empathy for him in in his misguided view as to why that's what he should be doing. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a little mm-hmm. bit more complicated than just like the mad Titan snapping his fingers. So like, I think I I love how you described it. This idea of these two lonely women um, sort of traumatized by this extreme power that they don't necessarily know um, how to handle and, and, and not having Agatha be just, just a scheming cackling witch, but, but someone, you know, this, this, that opening sequence with a CGI de-aged Catherine Hahn, unnecessary. She looks amazing now. Um, I didn't even notice that it was, I mean, I, I was just like, it was slight. It was, it was a, it was, you know, just a little, just a little smear Vaseline, CGI Vaseline on the lens. But, um, yeah, that trauma of killing your mother, of being like, I can be good. And your mom saying, no, you can't. I mean, that's, that's some good stuff. It's, it's, it was sort of quick in the context of the show, but you know, a performer like Catherine Hahn can make a meal out of that. And, uh, so yeah, so. I don't know. I, I, I'll be, I'll be interested to see. And I'll be, I think the, the question that comes out of that actually is what do we, how do we want Scarlet Witch or Wanda to land on the other side of this? Cause there's two, there's two options borne out by the, the, uh, the classic Wizard of Oz question. Are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? Like, does, does Wanda come out of this? Trauma, further traumatized and ready to be the villain of the MCU, the villain of Dr. Strange, or does she come out of it um, hoping to learn from Stephen Strange some of the stuff that Agatha was sort of talking about in this episode, the more formal uh, study of her powers? Um, yeah. Do you have yeah. a preference or a thought on that, Richard? I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea of a character who's morality and is is ambivalent you know, like like i you know i think that we have so many clear heroes and villains in this world this universe um that having someone who's a bit more i guess self-interested but like so powerful that they're sort of above the the sort of like kind of like doctor what is it um dr manhattan and mm-hmm. watchmen like just sort of like has transcended human morality you know um and, you know, a- Agnes has a line in the episode where she's she's coaxing or forcing Wanda into these flashbacks. She says the only way forward is back, yeah. you know, and I think I, that made me think of the term like the only way out is through. That, that's what I thought she was going to say. I thought she, I was I said yeah. I kind of said through and then she said back and I was like, oh, OK, yeah, back. Sure. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. And so if you think about like. So we see Agnes like persecuted by her you know you the, the the fun twist of that little opening scene is that you think it's going to be like the people of salem but like burning her because she's a witch but it's actually fellow witches being like you know you've gotten you've gone too far you've gone to the dark side and she doesn't want to hurt these people but she has to do it to do it to protect herself and if you've made that choice why wouldn't you try to like explore the the furthest limits of of your ability right and um similar with Wanda where she's been you know i guess she has these kids now which complicates things but she's been stripped of like her loved ones and sort of isolated in this way and she can't just pretend she doesn't have powers because too many people know she does she's a global celebrity in some right. senses why wouldn't she just kind of keep going and and escalating and you know and 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 growing and growing and growing and 
is that not, um, you know, in, in order to sort of justify the pain, you can't forsake the thing that is sort of accidentally helped cause some of that pain. You have to kind of embrace it and like follow it to its, um, you know, most extreme conclusion, I guess. So I think it would, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like, I don't know where Agnes is going to factor into this story going forward, but like with, with Wanda that, uh, this sort of journey of, uh, self-actualization in in a way mm-hmm. uh where that continues because i could see her sort of not being hero or villain in in the future mm-hmm. yeah something that the i think it was the lopez's um uh robert and Kristen lopez who who uh you know egot winners uh composers of avenue q and frozen etc um who did all the music for this series um said something about in composing the theme for Wanda, you know, like Wanda's theme music will likely go forward. That's how, you know, motifs uh, work in the MCU. We heard some old, like age of Ultron and Avengers musical motifs in this episode. Um, So Wanda's new motif, the like Wanda vision, like that will probably like go forward in the MCU. And they talked about like how her battle with, with, grief and trauma was not was not going to be tied up with a bow at the end of this series nor should it be i think a lot of people took that to mean that she would be the villain going for it but i like what you say about that not necessarily being the case and it's like she can exist in this um working on it space <laughs> you know what i mean like a, mm-hmm. a space that a lot of us exist in um i want to talk about something i i a couple different stories i saw this week um that sort of uh presaged this almost therapeutic um uh, previously on episode you know this this like forced therapy of sorts that um agnes agatha took wanda on which is the idea that the that the show itself is is um, situated around, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of, of, uh, grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And if you think of like denial being these early episodes, these like super black and white sitcom-y moments, anger being coming through, I think in like, um, the Family Ties episode, you know, when you see, uh, the fight between, uh, Vision and Wanda, bargaining perhaps being like her exiting the hex and and discussing uh you know what's going on with the with the folks outside the hex um and then depression being you know what we saw in like the modern family episode and then does that mean acceptance is this the acceptance episode uh i mean she she confronted the reality of of who vision actually was who her vision actually was in this episode um is that her all the way to acceptance or, or almost all the way to acceptance? So like, what do, what do you think of that um, framing of the series as a whole? Yeah, I think, I think it makes sense. You know, um, I, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't graft on a hundred percent, but no. like nothing ever yeah, does, yeah. you know, but I, I think that, yes, if this is a show, I think, you know, in, in the context of the broader cinema, you know, cinematic series and whatever, like, there has not been that this much kind of ample time to sit with a character and like have them deal with the fallout of all this fantastical and violent stuff, you know? 
um, we've seen some of that in the movies where a character says, I'm, I know I'm, I'm done with this or walks away and then comes back or whatever, you know, but like, this is a much more extended version of that. Um, and I think that in order to tell that in a sort of structured way, yeah, like that, that kind of rubric does really fit this well. Um, I think the big question is what does acceptance look mm. like? Yeah. You know, um, is acceptance like, okay, well, like I, I, I need to like, you know, marshal my powers for good and all this stuff. Um, I don't know if I see that realization coming in a half an hour next week, you know? Um, yeah. So. I don't know what the runtime is going to be next week. We should say this week um, was, a, you know, I think the, the runtimes are slowly edging up. Um, this week yeah. was a little longer. And um, initially, um they they said like there would be six hours of content and if you're if you're keeping the meter running on your taxi cab of show run times i don't know why i started down that metaphor um we're only up to five hours so they're in theory they have an hour that they could do for the finale not that that's even enough time but like you know a little a little bit more time than a 30 minute episode um i think i think you're right they the mcu has dabbled in this i think the closest they've come before is um, Iron Man three where Tony has PTSD from the battle of New York. Right. And uh, basically just like leaves his life um, to try to deal with it. And, uh, and it massively impacts his, his relationship with pepper and all this sort of stuff like that. But once again, that's only like a two hour feature film and he needs to have had his like psychological, emotional breakthrough by the end of that film. Um and you know, and you see, you see a little bit of like Peter Parker dealing with the grief of losing Tony and Spider-Man: Far From Home. Like it's there, but it's not as as much time. Just as you say, we have more time in a TV show to do something like that. Um, what's interesting about Iron Man three um, is, you know, I was just going through. Um, whenever I like look at the box office of of which MCU films performed the best, obviously in the top echelon. Um, are the Avengers movies, these big team-up event movies that everyone feels like they have to go see, right? Um, but right up there towards the top is Iron Man 3. And like Black Panther and Captain Marvel are up there too. And I think that has to do with like, you know, an audience really thirsty for representation. And they're, they're you know, Black Panther certainly is an incredible film. Um, like those are up there. But Iron Man 3 is always so interesting to me that is right up there. And I don't know if that's just like, the star power of Robert Downey Jr. or perhaps the star power of Guy Pierce. Um, or if it's if it's that that idea of of um of a reckoning, an emotional reckoning with this like punch everyone into a building superhero fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think if you're going to sit with the, the, these characters in this series for as long as we've been asked to, you know, uh thirteen years now you want some sense that they don't exist in a total vacuum, you know? And I think that, that what, what has been part of this sort of warm appeal of, of Marvel movies at their best is that they do kind of let their characters tip their hand a little bit and show who they are and, and, um, and, and sit in, 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 you know, some of the actual feeling that these people or aliens or whoever, you know, however you want to classify them would be. Um, and I would hope that what this show 
represents is like uh is is a more of a uh, is a commitment to that and and yeah i think that iron man 3 is an interesting movie i mean it, it's interesting because of who wrote and directed it um and, and the tone of it um but like it's this weird like d- kind of darkly com- comedic christmas movie yeah. you know like it, it's a it's a strange movie that like but 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 it's so is this is kind of a strange show too and i think that more and more like they have done the 13 year work of establishing these characters as like icons or standards or whatever and now they can kind of just see like all right well what are all the other facets of this person you haven't seen and i don't feel like this is i don't think that whether it's an hour next week or whatever like i i feel like this is almost like a a a bridge point for for wanda as a character i don't think there will be any sort of like sort of like snap back to to quote-unquote normal uh next week especially with this um this idea that that She's central to Doctor Strange, uh, too. You're right. It, this can just be like a ramp up to the next chapter. And that's what comics are. You know what I mean? This is comic book storytelling. Yeah. This is, this is just like such an interesting new opportunity for Marvel to lay track in different ways. And we talked about it last week in, in ways that it might feel less satisfying, like Monica here. It, when you're aware that it's a setup for another movie, it can feel a little like, Okay, I I see what's happening here, but but when it's um just allowing s- more space for a story to flower, I think that that's an incredible um opportunity that they have for more for mm-hmm. even more sp- sophisticated storytelling. All right, let's talk about a couple big moments in this episode. First, um, wait, I know what you're gonna say. Oh, first, <laughs> Wanda drives a Buick. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Do you think it's a rental? Well, so I was like, this is like weird product placement, right? And then I looked it up and it's like, Buick doesn't even sell sedans in America anymore. They only do SVUs, SUVs, SVUs. Um, so it's like, what, what's going on? I don't know. It was just like a very like glaring. They, like, they showed that car a lot. And it was just kind of funny that she's driving around in this like, cl- like picked up at the airport <laughs> rental car. Uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was like supposed to underline the like very, because then she like, she drives to this depressed New Jersey town that, you know, it, it looks like it got hit really hard by the snap, you know, um, just like not, not on its feet, feet, Westview, uh, New Jersey. Um, and maybe it's just supposed to underline the like very ordinariness of that moment. You know, mm. she's in a Buick and, you know, the, I mean, I uh, like, uh, let's pour one out to a few of my theories uh, in this episode. I'll, I'll see if there are other ones I want to pour one out to, but like my suspicion of the mailman who kept showing up in the like sitcom universe. And I'm like, who's this guy? What's his deal? And then we see him in this episode and he's just like a pizza delivery guy. And I was like, oh, he's just a pizza delivery guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just going to keep on happening to me and to others as this unfolds, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, that's, um, Classic Richard observation about the Buick. I was actually going to talk about uh, this concept of the Scarlet Witch uh, and chaos magic. And um, did you notice when Wanda, when we get the flashback to Wanda in in Sokovia being sort of experimented on with the with the Mind Stone, that she saw this figure in the yellow light of the Mind Stone? Um, yeah. Okay. And then that figure had the classic silhouette of the Scarlet Witch, um, from the comics. And we've seen, um, 
an allusion to that with um Wanda's uh Halloween costume uh, from an earlier episode the the sort of headpiece pointed headpiece um classic scarlet witch silhouette uh, when i first saw that the first time watching the episode i was like oh she is seeing some earlier scarlet witch because that's a, that's a thing in the comics that like her real mom was a previous scarlet witch like it was sort of a a passed down thing that she found out later in life that her real mom was not um, some nice woman from Eastern Europe, but um, a, a figure known as a Scarlet Witch. Um, so I was, I thought maybe that's what she was seeing, but then uh, I rewatched it and I looked a little closer and I think that she was just actually seeing her future self that we will see that silhouette from Elizabeth Olsen perhaps before the season is over. Um, how did that moment land for you? Do you have questions about the Scarlet Witch? Like, what do you, what do you think? So I guess I, I like, it, like the Scarlet Witch is, is like some other thing, you know, like kind of like dark Phoenixy, I guess. Like I, um, I, I thought that the Scarlet Witch was just an antiquated sort of, they, they were like, oh, it's a little, it's a little too like old timey comic book to call her that in this modern movie series. I didn't realize that it was like an actual, like, thing that would come to be bear as like a an entity you know i think it's um, kind of i think it's kind of both i think that that first instinct is true and i think initially as she's named the scarlet witch um the same way that they've done that they've done that with other i can't one does not easily come to mind but they've done that before with like comic book stuff that just like just seems like a little the wrong side of hokey for them to sort of bring in and they're like we'll just ignore that um but in a later comic we do find out that like Wanda Maximoff is not the first Scarlet Witch. So like Marvel comics later sort of came up with this idea, as you say, this sort of like dark Phoenix type of concept of uh, a figure, you know, maybe pass through different women. Right. And like, so then it kind of, you wonder like how much is, you know, how, how much of herself is she going to retain if she's becoming this thing or has it already become this thing? What does it mean? Are there responsibilities? Like, do, is there someone looking for her? Like, I, you know, I guess Agnes has been sort of, but I think Agnes didn't know what she was, who, what Wanda was until, definitely, yeah. you know, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it also feels like, I guess like, isn't that kind of like green lantern like stuff with like, there are lots of lanterns, but you just get this ring or something. I don't, I don't remember, but you know, uh, this kind of, this idea of a, of an identity that is, is uh, able to sort of uh, graft itself onto like uh, m- multiple people or, 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 or in a succession of people, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's intriguing. Uh, it, it does feel like it pushes things, I guess, closer toward the sort of more far out guardians of the galaxy spacey stuff versus what I maybe thought at one point we were headed towards, which was more X-Men stuff, which is right. a little more terrestrial. Um, and I think that also the kind of the thing about like fake Pietro and there was, was just sort of cast aside. I was like, Oh, maybe that Evan Peters thing isn't really going to develop the way that we had thought. I, I don't know. It felt like, it felt like the Scarlet Witch thing in combination with the, the Pietro mentioned, like felt like they were taking this in a different direction than I thought they were. It's interesting. I feel more confident than ever <laughs> that Evan Peters is playing his character from the Fox universe. Um, 
And there's a couple of reasons why, um, the, you know, when, when, when Agnes is saying, and, and like, shout out to Catherine Hahn for this episode where she just has to like do exposition and arch commentary for like 40 minutes and does a really admirable job with it, I think. Um, but, uh, the, you know, she, she's envious of, of Wanda's avil- ability to just create things. That that's not something that like witches can usually do, which is just like create matter. Um, right. she makes a vision. She make, she made those boys, those, the, the twins. She makes things with her magic. And, um, and so since, um, Agatha does not have that ability, I don't think she made fake Pietro. Um, she just talked about controlling him. So I still think that he was like plucked from a multiverse. Um, and I think this idea, it might, it might, I mean, I hope, hope it doesn't get too much in the weeds with infinity stones, but it might have to do with the fact that like Wanda is using an infinity stone again and what that does to mess with the like time stream and realities and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. I, 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 I can see why people, why I could go multiple different ways, but I am like, I'm going to, I'm going to firmly plant my flag on this is the Fox universe, Peter. And that's how, because if Fike, Fikey said in an, in a, a TCA this week, Fikey said that like Evan Peters being in the show was like an early plan they had for WandaVision. And mm-hmm. so I think they really are grabbing onto this as an opportunity to open the door. The Doctor Strange sequel is called the Multiverse of Madness. Just really open the door for this concept of the multiverse and allow the characters that they like from the Fox universe, um, Quicksilver being high on a lot of people's lists from those movies and having the added benefit of already existing in this unit. Like Quicksilver was the most, um, uh, oh gosh, what do we want? Like permeable, um, element of this shared, uh, comic book universe that Fox and, Disney and Marvel have been fighting over because they had a Quicksilver in each of their films and Feige or someone else at Marvel, but probably Feige seeing that as an opportunity to open the door to a multiverse. I think, I, I think that's irresistible to them. That's what I think, but you know, I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things. So sometimes a cicada is just a cicada. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So chaos magic, um, all of that stuff. But then we also get this white, white vision um, at the end of the episode that looked to me a lot like those, you know, those like white drone things from Westworld. Um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Anyway. So uh white vision, what are your, what are your thoughts and feelings here? Um, yeah, I wish I had, I started to rewatch Ultron uh, a couple weeks ago and I didn't finish it. Um, but I, cause I would hope I want to, I wanted to better remember like what sort of vision was sort of born out of. I know it was involved, it was like involved in that whole thing, but like, I guess I had not really ever quite grokked like whether he was just a robot who was extra sentient or if there was like an extra, I mean, obviously he had the infinity stone. So there was like a sort of more magic magical element to him. But for some reason I thought that he was maybe more organic. Um, and so, if they revive the vision body, the, the mechanical corpse, like what consciousness does it have? Cause I thought the consciousness came from the infinity stone. Yeah. 
Um, so like, but where then, what was the thing they were had in the tank that they were using to power up the new vision? Oh, they were using power from the hex. So Wanda's power, right? Because like, so the thing that was powering vision was, um, the mind stone, the yellow infinity stone that's in his forehead. Right. And as we were reminded in this episode, that's also the stone that created Wanda. She's like infused with the power of the mind stone. So, you know, Thanos rips the mind stone out of um, Vision's head in Endgame or in Infinity War. Um, and they can't boot him back up because they don't have the mind stone, but they can suck leech off of Wanda's power which is like Mindstone infused. It's like a Mindstone tea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they use that to power him up is my assessment of what's going on. But I guess then the question is like if like the power that Wanda's using in at the moment is like whatever chaosy or dark or, or and, and born out of like you know a, a grief or mm-hmm. whatever like so like maybe that that sort of negative mm-hmm. thing would sort of channel into whatever this thing is. Um it could. I mean, the other there's other like elements of so the creation of Vision is a complicated little soup, right? Um, because he's got a lot of Ultron, which is James Spader's character from Age of Ultron. Um, but then he's got Tony Stark too, because Tony is like involved in the creation of Vision. That's why is part of why he sounds like Jarvis and stuff like that. It's all it's all this like amalgamation of a lot of different things. And, um, my feeling is, or, or my, I, what I wonder is if this white vision, this quote unquote pure vision, um, is just going to be Ultron. It, like vision was created a vibranium body that Ultron created to put his consciousness in. Sorry if we just lost some people who are just like watching WandaVision and haven't watched Age of Ultron, but basically like a mad robot, a mad smart robot created this like ultra hunky Paul Bettany body for himself to put his consciousness into and things got mucked up when the Avengers got involved. Right. And so, um, and Ultron himself was created by Tony Stark, but, um, I wonder there, there's, there is a fun theory (laughs) that when, when, if, and when we hear white vision, uh, speak, he will be using James Bader's voice, which could be really fun. Mm. Um, and 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 therefore would be the original intention that Ultron had for that body. Um, I mean, it seems like no matter what, that vision's going to be antagonistic. <laughs> but wouldn't the like, sword you know? people know that? Like he lifted up a whole city and like killed a bunch of people. Like he was really bad. Like I don't. Under- I, I guess but- I don't understand why they would would risk like bringing Ultron back. I think I think they're playing with fire. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they they like the way that they have characterized Hayward is that he is just traumatized by the snap, and he's like, "Never again. We're going to build ourselves an indestructible weapon." Um, mm-hmm. And and that's why you know they they created this Project Cataract out of out of you know it's it's a uh, like post nine eleven Homeland Security reflex fear and um, yeah, and playing with fire. Um, you know, as is often the case in comic books, but uh, the white vision does exist in, in the comics. Um, vision died and they brought him back as white vision and, um, his antagonism in, in that role is, is questionable. What, What was his primary sort of devastating feature was 
uh, he did not know or remember Wanda at all um, or their kids. Um, so whether or not that's the route they go down here, I don't know, but like that's a potential re-traumatization. That's the thing that, that pushed Wanda over the edge in um, earlier comics is, is this vision who doesn't know her at all. Um, right. You know. Right. There's a lot of things that have pushed Wanda over the edge in the comics, but so, yeah, so that's, so that's, you know, that's white vision and the, and the Scarlet witch and, and we'll see, um, we'll see what we see. But I, but I do think that like a vision versus vision, uh, fight feels, um, uh, you know, a reasonable thing to expect. And honestly, if, if that's who Paul Bettany was talking about, I will, I will laugh for the entire hour and hats off to him. Um, all right. What else, what else do you want to talk about in this episode? Well, I don't know if we definitely needed like a whole plot line about literal DVD box sets of old TV shows. (laughs) Fair. You know what I mean? That was like, I felt like not just on the nose, but like kind of, devouring the nose like it was just like okay like also like i'm a little bit confused about timeline here like agnes says loving the cold war vibe which granted might have just been like a descriptor and not a literal situating it in in a in a time but like i don't did dvd players exist before the cold war ended um i I think uh, yeah so uh you know according to the lore of (laughs) the mcu uh that that stark bomb uh, was supposed to have gone off in 1999. Technically, there were DVDs there uh, then in 1999. Well, yes, right. But uh, never fear. Uh, Reddit is already all on top of this for you uh, and have identified those specific bots because they're real box sets that they used. Uh, did not Some of them did not exist till 2005. So you were right to point out a slight anachronism there. Um, I don't know why they didn't just go with like VHS tapes. Um, yeah, that, that like, the thing is, like, do it VHS or like have their like getting some pirate signal from somewhere that's showing yeah. reruns. You know, like, yeah. I, I thought that was like a little too yeah. tidy or something, and it kind of with you. took me out of it for a second. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's a minor minor quibble. I mean, I thought you know for the most part it was an interesting uh, episode. That you know, I, I guess I. I, it would have been fun to have a little more Han in it, a little more Agnes versus like her being kind of some sort of sinister Virgil taking Wanda's Dante mm. through, like, you know, <laughs> the Inferno uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe I th- I'm assuming next week it'll be a big clash or something, you know, along those lines. Um, the thing that I did want to say about this, like Sokovian backstory for Wanda, there's this great piece that, um, uh, Gavia Baker Whitlaw put up on, on the daily dot um, after the Halloween episode called the complicated history of Marvel whitewashing Scarlet, Witch." Wanda Maximoff's Romani heritage was erased from the MCU leading to ongoing problems with her role. Um, and this idea that in the comics, you know, Wanda is the daughter of Magneto, who is famously like a Jewish uh, character and that his wife is um, Romani um, and this sort of like Jewish Romani uh, identity for Wanda and Pietro is actually something that like, you know, the comics is interested in and not something that the MCU is interested in at all. And that's, uh, there are ways in which that's okay. There are ways in which to change. I mean, I don't think you could do Magneto without the Holocaust backstory. Like if, if you were just to erase Magneto's Jewishness, 
Re- erasing anyone's Jewishness is, is problematic. But, like, if they wanted to go for, like, an Eastern Bloc Cold War uh, vibe for Wanda instead, it would be kind of okay. I think what really struck a sour note, or I'm not the one to say it's okay, but what really struck a sour note for this author and for other people is the sort of, like, throwaway joke in the Halloween episode of, like, I'm dressed as a Sokovian fortune teller. And it felt, like, really, like, leaning into... um these like uh stereotypes mm-hmm. um it felt like felt like a little flip in light of the fact that this is an ele- a real cultural element of this comic book character that they've decided to not engage with so to dress it up as like halloween costumery um i think bugs some people and so i was curious to see like i was expecting that based on some like trailer stuff I was expecting that we were going to get like Sokovian flashbacks and I was curious to see if there was going to be any direct engagement in that. And, and you know, there wasn't really time for that in the story that they want to tell. Um, but I'm sure that that is um, maybe something some people were hoping to see uh, in all of this. Yeah. I mean, when you have a character who is canonically um, uh, a descendant or member of two of the most persecuted ethnic groups right. in European history, yeah, uh, like that's a pretty huge legacy for that character to have and, and, and to, to work with thematically and, and all that and and to kind of not pick that up at all um would seem like i mean an, an, an offense certainly but like also if you want to be really cynical about it just like a missed storytelling opportunity you know yeah. Yeah, um yeah. so i i would hope that there will there'll be more maybe as she figures out what the scarlet witch is and how it relates to her more sort of about her self and identity and let, you know, uh, ancestry will, um, come, come to, come to light. That's what I was hoping for. Like when I saw the Scarlet Witch silhouette in the mind zone, I was like, Oh, are we going to get like Wanda's real mom? Are we going to get more of that? Like, are we actually going to go there with this uh, question of identity? And, um, Maybe not, but, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, next time on Dr. Strange 2, who knows? Um, but, uh, I, I agree. I think it's a missed opportunity. I think it's one of the more interesting things that the X-Men films did with the character of Magneto. Um, and so, uh, it, it would be, I think it would be a really, um, the right the right thing to do for a number of different reasons for them to to find the space to engage in that so um all right anything else we want to say oh i i thought i really liked i did like the scene when agatha was giving wanda shit for not knowing anything about how to use her magic um and and sort of like rattling off a couple different like formal technical spells and hexes and stuff like that um agatha harkness in the comic books is the one who like teaches wanda how to use her powers so i thought that was like a nice little nod to the comics but it's also a potential track for doctor strange like if if this comes if wanda comes out of this as a powerful magic user who would like to know more about how to use her magic uh stephen strange is in a in a decent position to be someone who helps her figure that out so, um, yeah, especially yeah. considering that it didn't seem that Wanda had ever, you know, imagined or, or, or considered that like there were other people like this and that actually there was a sort of like, uh, not set of rules, but like 
a, a technique and there that you know right. there, there this is a this is a practice of of other people yeah. um and i think that's the first we're hearing of that too which um you know sort of happily tosses marvel further into the supernatural realm um which is fine you know because that's what the comics are but like um it's funny just to see how the how far they've come from like 2008 you know it's all about like arms dealers and yeah. war stuff and tech and now it's like oh no it's like a you know space witch or whatever <laughs> like salem witch know. trials here we go yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly um yeah and and what this uh you know when this is the last thing i think i'll probably need to say is like when um when wanda and pietro were created in age of ultron via the mind stone um, or before the action of, of Age of Ultron via the Mind Stone. Um, it seemed like Marvel's workaround, because in the comic books, they're mutants, right? And at that time, Marvel did not have the ability to uh, engage with the concept of mutants because Fox Studios owned the concept of mutants, right? Right. So Wanda and Pietro could not be mutants. So instead, they're like Mind Stone generated uh enhanced individuals but they already had some ability before that right that's what this episode right underlines right is that at least she did she did well probably pietro too because you know the 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 hydra scientists were saying no one survived you know tinker with this so she survived but also pietro survived uh, so in theory, both she and Pietro had like, you know, as, as Agnes says, sort of like this, na- this like fledgling magical ability in them that might have just died on the vine had it not been hit with a blast of, um, the Mind Stone. So okay. there we go. All right. Do anything you have else? to get yeah. two Mind Stone blasts to be vaccinated? Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, the, the the new Johnson & Johnson one is just one blast. From, Their new uh, milestone, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, all right, Richard, uh, until until you're back fully Infinity Stone vaccinated next week, and where can folks find you? Oh, you know, reviewing on VF.com, tweeting at Rylaws, searching for mind stones or other <laughs> magic stones. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, excited to listen to your conversation with Anthony. All right. Well, Richard, we will see you next week for the grand finale. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go. All right. Bye. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy, without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I am Mephisto. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> in the MCU. Right? I'm a big red guy. I'm a big red guy who's essentially the devil. They told me I'm going to be I'm going to be there first as a stork. Right? So I show up on the day covered in glue and feathers. I say I'm ready. They say, "Al, it's going to be a CGI stork." I say, "Well, somebody could have told me that. Somebody could have said something." All right, uh, we did not have an interview this week, but what you just heard uh, was one of our listeners who sent in a great Al Pacino impression that I just decided to slot in our usual interview spot. That's Scott (laughs) Sice, who sent that in for us. Uh, You can go to www.scottsice, that's S-E-I-S-S dot com to check him out. Um, That was just like a real treat for us. So thank you, Scott, for sending that in. Um, We... We had planned uh, to speak with Emma Caulfield this week, but um, we were told that maybe uh, it might be wise to wait a week on that. So uh, we will talk about our Emma Caulfield slash Dottie theories a little later on. But we wanted to start – Anthony Breskin's here. We wanted to start uh, by doing something that I've actually been kind of remiss in doing on this podcast, which is shout out the specific um, episode writers. I've been sort of lazily giving um, head writer Jack Schaefer – credit for the whole thing when as we know it's a little bit more complicated that like than that in tv writing so this episode is credited to laura donny mm-hmm. and we wanted to shout out specifically this line uh what is grief if not love persevering as like a oof ow oof, <laughs> oof. Wow. uh yeah, beautiful that, uh, that's a beautiful line yeah um it's so beautiful that i'm like oh is he quoting someone or is that whoever came up with that line of Laura Donnie or uh, someone else in the writer's room or an improv? <laughs> I don't know, but like, it was beautiful. That was really a great line. He's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Um, so we're here to talk about, um, you know, this episode on a slightly, as I said, more granular level than I did with Richard. Um, I do want to shout out a, a couple things. We are going to talk about, 
um, a storyboard that leaked early in the season. The scene already uh, occurred in this episode, so I would now no longer consider that a spoiler. Um, mm-hmm. I was aware of this storyboard a couple weeks ago. I did not bring it up on here because that felt like a bridge too far in terms of things to talk about. But it's now I feel you like you are a good host. That's why <laughs> because people don't want it. No, I wouldn't want things spoiled. You know. <laughs> Uh, but it now feels like fair game to talk about. So yeah. we, we're going to talk about that. And then, um, and then, um, probably towards the end of, of this segment, I will talk about a photo that one of the actors put on Twitter, which again, I think is maybe fair game. Um, and may pan out to mean nothing, but it's very interesting. So we want to talk about that as well. So that, that'll save till the end and I'll give you a little warning about that and you can jump off if you don't want to listen to that. So, um, let's start. Let's start with this storyboard, if you don't mind, um, Anthony Bresnikin. Yes. Uh, so the the scene that that leaked, and by leaked I mean the artist put it up online himself. Um, of <laughs> it was from this, and I'm sure got in a lot of trouble, and I hope he's okay. Um, it's funny because everybody on, who works on the Marvel movies is so tight lipped that even when it's coming out, they, they look around the room and aren't sure what they can talk about. Yeah. And like this guy's just like, hey, you want to see a scene from the upcoming episode of WandaVision? Here it is. I don't know what happened there, but um, so uh, this is a scene from this episode when Wanda walks into the sword building to grab um, Vision's uh, body, and what you see, I mean, a lot of it is the same. What's kind of fun is that it starts with um her walking through the door, and you see the Agnes figure behind her. Well, you see a figure with what looks like a cat. And so I actually have to wonder if like maybe at one point they wanted to make Senior Scratchy a cat. Uh, in the comics, Agatha has a familiar that's a cat named Ebony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if maybe they decided cats are too hard to work with because they are. If you've ever listened to an Oscar Isaac interview about Inside Lewin Davis. Um, so maybe they just decided a rabbit would be easier. I don't know. But um, once upon a time, it was going to be a cat and Agnes and... Um, Wanda walking in and Wanda sort of angrily asking to see Vision's body. And it's almost exactly the same, uh, except for this one snippet of dialogue. And we should say that, like, you know, you might know better than me, um, Anthony, but like more often than not, the dialogue of a storyboard will change before yeah. it makes it to the screen, right? Yeah, quite often. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah. it it changes <clears throat> from the script as well. You right. know, when you're shooting it on the day, and then right. it changes again when it gets edited. So they right. very well could have shot this, and who knows? We'll, uh, but there's a key line here where she references some other Avengers in the and uh, the aftermath of Endgame. Yeah. So so we're not saying it's like it's it's wild that things changed because things change all the time. But it is, I find it interesting to look at like when things change. What and why did they change? Right. So the line here, as Wanda is sort of menacing, um, like uh, someone at the sword security desk is I'm sick of everyone acting like Tony Stark is the only person we lost. Like he's the only Avenger there ever was. Too bad then if you're Natasha, but at least she was flesh and blood. Right. But where are the memorials for vision? No loving tributes for the synthesoid. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this, in this version did not make it in, you know, it's, it's more what made it into the final thing is more, you know, please let me bury my loved one's body. Let me yeah. in. Um, yeah. And I just think it's really interesting. Uh, 
especially this mention of Natasha here. Um, I've heard, um, I don't know if you and I have had this conversation since we weren't colleagues when, uh, Endgame came out, but, um, the, uh, I, I was a little salty about, uh, how things ended for Natasha, uh, in that film. Um, I know that we're getting a Black Widow film, so we will be getting a, a loving two hour tribute to Natasha, uh, and Scarlett Johansson in that film, but I was a little salty that, like, Natasha goes off the cliff and then the ending of the movie is just all about Tony and not yeah, about right. the other people sort of who fell. Um, do you have any reaction to this? Uh, yeah, I get it. I get the, I get your saltiness. Like she sacrificed herself, uh, just as much as he did. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, yet there was no like circle of mourning for her. Um, there's Again, like an I, angry lakeside dock moment, but no, like, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it felt I, like, and I understand Robert Downey Jr. is so important to the whole franchise. It's a big moment. It makes a lot of sense. It's a full circle moment, but, um, I like, it, it feels like an especially true character moment for Wanda who had a connection, uh, with Natasha. We see that in, yeah. um, Civil War, the beginning of Civil War, when they're on assignment and she and Natasha are like having a little like, you know, fun, friendly back and forth on assignment and stuff like that. Like when you when you run down the list of friends that Wanda had in the Avengers, it's basically like uh, Natasha, Clint um, and uh, Steve and Vision. And that's mm-hmm. like and that's it. And Steve is off, you know with peggy and lala land right uh natasha's dead clint uh tune into hawkeye to find out what clint's doing um but no one's checking in on wanda and that's devastating you know yeah i think uh also maybe natasha doesn't stay dead <laughs> that's my oh guess. okay so you don't have like a big morning for her because maybe there's a way that she returns oh interesting that's the first time i've heard someone put that theory forward you know and maybe not i mean we're gonna get a a black widow movie um which is a prequel that we know which is that's a prequel but but okay okay but i've also heard that it does connect to the future as well it's not fully locked to the past and i learned that from doing some you know, some homework about like the releasing of these movies. And like, yeah, I happened to mention to somebody, well, I guess you lucked out in a way because the, the, the uh, Natasha movie, the black widow film is self-contained because it all exists in the past. And they were like, Oh, actually there are parts of it that actually, that connect to the current, like forward moving storyline. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder, hmm, I wonder. I mean, maybe on the way that I would interpret that, Is that uh, we know that Florence Pugh is going to be in some of these Disney Plus shows. That has been, like, confirmed. Mm -hmm. And her character is going to be introduced in Black Widow. I mean, Um, Loki died, too, right? It's true. (laughs) It's true. And we're getting a Loki show. And we're we're maybe getting a multiverse. So who knows? We could get 90 Black Widows in another movie. Um, All right. So... So that's the that's the storyboard moment uh, that I thought was interesting. Um, you wanted to talk about a particular show that gets sort of uh, heavy rotation uh, in this sitcom uh, <laughs> previously on episode. Um, which show did oh, you have your eye on? Anthony? Dick Van Dyke, the Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Well, Dick Van Dyke is he's up there in years, but he is still. 
kicking and dancing and he's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they focus so much on that as the show that, that Wanda and, uh, Pietro and her family are watching when the bomb hits their home. Uh, we were talking about the big cameo and, you know, Paul Bettany said there's an actor he would love to have worked with and we have, uh, you've done deep dives into like, which actors have he, com- has he complimented <laughs> in the past? Like, uh, but like, who wouldn't love to talk to or, or perform opposite Dick Van Dyke? Like he is, he is one of the classics, right? And so, um, he, and he's still with us. So, and you know, another interesting thing about Dick Van Dyke, I interviewed him years ago. Uh huh. He loves visual effects and does amateur visual effects himself. Does he? It was yeah. Him. Like, and he told me, like, remember that he was on that show, like, Diagnosis Murder, like, yeah. years and years ago? He yeah, was like, oh, yeah. yeah, they needed a little, like, visual effect. It wasn't obviously, he was not, like, animating, like, an Avengers battle scene or something, but he was like, oh, I did a little thing. I think it was, like, a car going off a cliff, and he, like, he touched it up or something and did, he was like, oh, I did that myself because they didn't, you know, they said they decided they needed it at the last minute. And I was like, oh, that's kind of really cool. Wow. You do it yourself? Like, all right. Um, so, you know, he's into these kinds of movies. That'd be, that'd be kind of neat to see Dick Van Dyke turn up, don't you? Yes. Think? I mean, um, my Al Pacino theory feels, uh, or not, it's not my, the Al Pacino theory feels Less likely as, as the days go on. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you feel coming out the other side of this, but uh, Richard and I talked a little bit about like whether or not it would actually be satisfying for their beat to be another villain when like, would that undercut the power of Agatha and Ag- Agnes, you know? Well, I don't think there's another villain in this show. I think Agatha is the villain. It's just, what is her goal? And if her goal is to reanimate Ralph, Senior Scratchy, let's call him Mephisto or Nightmare, um, then I could see her succeeding in that and still being the main villain, right? You've just unlocked this villain for uh, uh, Doctor Strange. Strange to yeah. grapple with. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, possibly. In the multiverse the- of madness, you know? Okay, let's game this out a little bit. Like, let's say, so, uh, you know, Agnes, the way that her power seems to manifest i i called her in my notes multiple times like a magic eater right like that she drains other people of their magic uh which goes back to that uh shark yogurt commercial that we saw in the 90s episode right Mm -hmm. uh so she you know she drains people's magic and that powers her up more like we saw that in the in the cold open right that she's like um when she sucks on the magic of the other witches it makes her even more powerful to be able to take on her mom, which is a lot to unpack. Um, and so, you know, in theory, let's say she's trying to get Wanda to go, uh, nuclear again, the way that she did when she built the hex in the first place. And when she does that, uh, Agnes can just like gobble up all of her, um, <laughs> magic for herself. Right. And power mm-hmm. herself up even more that that's what she's going for. She's trying to you know figure out how to get this like explosive event to recur so that she can suck all that magic. Um, and then she needs that magic to, let's say, open that book that looks like maybe it was stolen from Dr. Strange's library. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe she needs that. And in doing so, maybe yes, maybe she will invite Al Pacino or Dick Van Dyke to the party. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. The cicada seems to be just a cicada. Would you agree? Hmm. It's, you know, 
she's surrounded by nature. You remember how we talked in a previous episode about how Agatha had like a, ma- a magic plant that like you could yeah uh, well, something eats it and then you eat the pl- eat the critter that eats the, the plants yes. and like yeah. uh, you know uh, and uh, in her living room when the kids were hanging out and Wanda came in. You notice there are like paintings of vines creeping up the walls. Like she's very much like a nature totally. witch. And like I love the setting of the Salem, uh, I don't know what you'd call that, interrogation. It looked like it was sort of, she was prepared to be, she was tied to a stake. I don't know if she was going to be burned at the stake. That looked like some kind of altar. But the waterfall in the background, she's very much a nature cr- creature. But also uh, the cicada is a symbol of metamorphosis. You know, it changed into a bird and then... Uh, uh, she grabbed it and crushed it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I noticed in the previous episode, too, when Wanda goes into that basement, there are some cicadas just hovering around. Yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes a cicada is just a cicada. <laughs> Sometimes a drone is just a drone, man. Um, something that uh, kind of blew my mind that a, that a listener pointed out to me on Twitter uh, is that going by the sort of increasingly drained of energy idea – um, if you listen to all the ways in which Elizabeth Olsen has done the line reading previously on WandaVision throughout the season, each one decreases in energy. Oh, like she's really? super bright and perky uh, at the beginning. And by the end, she just sounds like beaten down, um, which is uh, what a fascinating little detail. Like someone someone said that to me on Twitter. I was like, mm, sure, sure. And then I listened to I listened to all of them myself and I was like, oh, well, yep. It's there true. You go. It's true. Neat little Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about the? I mentioned the the yogurt commercial. Do you want to talk about the commercials and how you're feeling about them now? Yeah. So I feel like this episode. I mean, it's called previously on, so it's all flashback. I don't know that there's much theorizing moving forward from here. We're kind of like this is more like uh, testing and re- reaffirming some of the hypothesis that we've explored. But um, so we get an explanation of the uh, Stark Toastmaster, which is the bomb uh, beeping in, mm-hmm. in uh, their uh, apartment. And the, the, I like the little hint that uh, maybe Wanda works some magic that diffused the bomb. I know. I was talking to Richard about that. Like, you know, the workaround for mutants in the, Mar- the MCU was to have Pietro and Wanda sort of be created by the Mind Stone. But I love this indication that we get in this episode that they – probably already had some magic inside of them um so yeah and you know you get the strucker time piece Mm -hmm. and uh you know i like that little moment where they're like what happened here because she just sort of like goes from standing to like there's like a jump cut on the surveillance yeah and so she's kind of editing her reality already even back then yeah yeah and then you know the hot it's interesting so what was it hydrolux was that the name of the commercial when they when Hydra she's like Hydra Soak, Hydra Soak. She yeah. was in the soothing thing. Yeah. And what's funny is, so the you know the clip of that we or the scene that we explore in her past, uh, where uh, Hydra is, uh, you know, the background villain. Uh, it's from around the time of Winter Soldier, where she, um, well, I, or I guess yeah, right after it. This would have been right after Ultron, not Winter Soldier, but like. Uh, Basically, Hydra collapsing S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers uh, actually leads to, like, one of her more 
comfortable, reassuring times because she's with Vision. She's living like in the dorm at the New Avengers headquarters, and like she's happy. They're watching TV together, and it's like it's like not a bad time. So then, from there, we go to the Yo Magic, right? Isn't that the next commercial, or am I skipping one? There's the the paper towel Lagos thing, and that's Captain America: Civil War. Uh, yeah, right? that of course is like yeah, where she made a mess mm-hmm. in Lagos. That's right. Thank you for mm-hmm. reminding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and she's kind of grappling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really get much exploration of that in this episode. Um, but well, the the scene with her and Vision is is Civil War era, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, but Hydra led her to be. The collapse of Hydra as the secret government uh, infiltration mm-hmm. leads to her happiness with Vision. And um, so uh, then we have, of course, the Yo Magic. And then last week's episode was the Nexus. We didn't get a commercial this time. Right. Um, so I think those are over. And the Nexus thing, I think, is the future. I think she's going to be going through some doorways. And so that's you know she's going to be moving through different realities and what we saw the big reveal of this although there were a few i think is that a wanda can create her reality so what does that mean in terms of a multiverse if you have somebody who can um harness what agatha called chaos magic and literally create your own reality she did not reanimate vision's corpse she created him again from her own soul i guess from her own memories and uh that's a pretty astounding accomplishment and that would explain why he cannot leave the hex he must exist in this sort of terrarium that she's created yeah yeah and uh and the thing that really boggles agatha harkness's mind is like whoa well you can you know she has used magic on things but she has not seen magic create an alternate reality in essentially a different universe. And that's really powerful. Uh, at least to judge by Agatha, who seems to know her stuff. See, Agatha seems like somebody who's like, who went to college, who majored in witchcraft and dark <laughs> arts, you uh-huh. know, with a minor in villainy. And mm-hmm. like, she knows all the rules. Like, she's like, ah, oh, you didn't notice all the little uh, runes around this room that prevent another witch from using magic here. Like, I feel like, Wanda doesn't know rules. She just has sort of raw talent and power. Mm-hmm. She has the ability, like to use like a sports analogy, to like hurl the ball really far, but doesn't know all the ins and outs and strategies of the game. So they're an interesting match. And so, like half of the time, I think Wanda's just like, I'm just throwing fireballs around. <laughs> like I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, and and she's more of a intuitive ma- kind of magic, and she is uh, you know being controlled by her grief and her her wish that things were different and figuring out how to use that power to make it so and uh you know I just think that's a power that somebody like Agatha who's very studied would like to have it reminds me a little bit of like Amadeus you know where oh, Mozart is just like she's the Salieri she like Agatha is like the Salieri <laughs> like I'm obsessed you know let's I'm hear it for the mediocre interpretation yeah <laughs> oh my god uh Agnes the Salieri a beautiful beautiful uh idea um let's let's go back to that um that witch trial scene um when um 
Agatha kills her own mother, when her mother is like fully powered up, we see this like blue crown sort of of magic kind of appear on her mom's head. And some folks have wondered if like maybe that, you know, if we see Wanda in the future as the more traditional Scarlet Witch and Scarlet Witch wears this like headpiece, if instead of an, a literal headpiece, we might see like a red powered magic around her head in that crown like fashion. But what's also interesting to me about that scene, I don't know what to make of this, but um, according to the credits, that character, uh, Agnes's mom, Agatha's mom, uh, is named Evanora, which is the name of Rachel Vice's character in Oz the Great and Powerful. And I really feel like I'm being trolled by Oz and Great and the Powerful at this point. Mm. This is the second Oz the Great and Powerful reference uh, in uh, in this show. We originally, we this is Sam Raimi's um, take on the Wizard of Oz. Um, but anyway... Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts about why that's I, in here. May I maybe just in a little Easter egg, like uh, these are witches throughout time and they turn up in literature. I don't know. That's tough. Like that's a deep cut, but it might just be a little shout out, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like it's really possible. They're just giving Sam Raimi um, some shout outs. Uh, he will be directing uh, the Dr. Strange too. So maybe they're just like referencing his, his, uh, his witch movie. Um, do you want to like should I put my um Evanora, by the way, it's Wicked Witch of the East, um played by Rachel Weiss in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh should I put my three witches theory to bed, or do you, Anthony Breskin, have some dotty related hope for me? What do you think? Yeah, well, okay, so I think that opening scene uh from this episode where there's a coven of witches who uh uh are basically putting Agatha on trial for what did she say? Like, uh, like learning things beyond your station. Like, wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a put down. Way to <laughs> gatekeep magic, mom. All right. yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, there are other witches and, uh, well, in fact, other witches in the Marvel universe, other magic wielders, I mean, like sorcerers supreme, right? And uh, mm-hmm. our source, like, if you say, is it sorcerers supremes, or is it like attorneys general? Like, are you, <laughs> there are Isn't there only one. Supreme. Isn't there only one sorcerer supreme? Yeah, but I mean, there have been different ones in the past, right? True, true. So, like, yes, you know, I, I was using Jeez. that as an example of like there are different magic powered beings. There are sorcerers supreme. There are attorneys general. Uh, is, is that how we should be thinking about the the Scarlet Switch? <laughs> Um, like it as like a sorcerer supreme mantle that's sort of passed on. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess it would still be Scarlet Witches because witch is the verb. And yeah, that's Scarlet true. That's would true. be the adjective. Yeah. Like so, you know, general is the adjective in attorney's. Fair, anyway. fair. All right, whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, there is uh, there are lots of uh, theories about um, whether everybody that we've been seeing. In the uh, in the uh, in the town of Westview, uh, speaking of witches, Wicked Witch of the West, right? Yeah. So Wicked Witch of Westview, Eastview, uh, mm-hmm. East. Oh yeah, they mention Eastview, right? That's where mm-hmm. the cops are from. Mm-hmm. Where are you guys from? Eastview. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are um, 
Yeah, there are other. I think that that that, that uh, we're going to discover that Agatha Harkness is not alone. And one of the things that you notice is that um, the flowers in um, the front yards kind of match the magic mm-hmm. colors of the of the heroes and villains we're talking about. So, you know, the flowers that uh, um, Wanda found the little helicopter in were red. Um, we find out later, although it's black and white, like the flowers outside her yard are red. The flowers outside Agatha's yard are purple. Of course, she wields purple magic. Mm-hmm. And then you remember in that earlier episode when she says, you know, uh, Dottie here is the key to everything in mm-hmm. this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's a character called Ar- Arcana Jones mm-hmm. who wields like a kind of yellow magic, I guess, a very sunny magic. And, you know, she... Every, she always wears yellow. She's blonde. She's um, got yellow. I think mean, it's like roses in the front of her yard. Mm-hmm. Yellow rose of Texas, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yellow rose of Westview. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem to be accidental. And I think also, um, you know, her for saying she's key to the neighborhood or she's key to everything in town. Uh, doesn't really get to um why you would cast an actress of this stature in the part, right? She hasn't really been given enough to do. So just Emma, kind of like, Emma Caulfield, yeah, Emma Caulfield, yeah, yeah. So like you know, she's got a history in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is uh, uh, playing a demon who hates bunnies. By the way, mm, so true. bunnies, you know, <laughs> c- could come up again. Uh. Yeah, I just think there's more to her, right? And I think it's sort of like in a murder mystery, like you can often determine uh, who the killer is by like, who's the most extraneous character here? <laughs> like, who else, who, who could you lose from the story and they don't matter? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's the person who did the, did the crime. I've been thinking about that. Um, I think Richard and I talked about this a little bit last week because we had a listener write in who whose mom was like an Agatha Christie fan. And I was like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of like Agatha Christie classic to have – a character played by an actress that not everyone recognizes, but certainly like Buffy fans do, um, uh, who shows up memorably at the beginning when she does. She has that big like moment where she breaks the glass and there's like blood and she says, who are you very suspiciously in the same way that like Agatha is like, who are you dude? Like, who are you? So like the, the way that Agatha was drawn to the hex to investigate, this explosion of power, uh, Dottie might have been similarly drawn, uh, because I don't like what we, what we find out in the flashback in this episode is that, you know, something we already knew that most of the people in this town were just residents of this downtrodden New Jersey, um, you know, suburb. Right. And, um, but we have yet to see Dottie in that context. So it's possible that Dottie, like, like Agnes rolled up, when the explosion happens and she doesn't roll up until you know agnes gets there first in episode one Dottie shows up in episode two so it's possible that she rolled up a little later um those two houses agnes's house and Dottie's house flank wanda so it's possible that Dottie moved in next door to yeah. try to figure out what's going on here 
There's also um, the obvious of Dottie Jones or Arcana Jones. Right. And like her, her husband's her, name is Phil. And I think Arcana Jones's husband's name is Phil in the comics as well. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I mentioned how sunny she is, but her, her code name, which they seldom use in Marvel. They use them as little as possible. Like they don't always call, uh, they tend to call him Steve instead of Captain America. Right. Yeah. They, uh, they, and then there was that point, um, midway through the season of WandaVision, uh, where they say like, oh, Scar, uh, Wanda, does she ever have any like interesting code right, name? And they're like, right. nope, nope, she doesn't. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah. So Arcana Jones's uh, code name is Moonglow. I just think it's definitely good. She's definitely gonna whip out some magic yellow orbs and start throwing uh fire at uh at at Wanda at some point. She's in on it, right? I would love She's to gonna- see it. Do- like do- my my hope that Dottie the Dottie uh seed. Uh, flower satisfactorily uh, by the end of the season mm-hmm. has been like one of my fondest wishes for this show because I'm a big Emma Caulfield fan. So like I said, we yeah. were supposed to talk to her this week. Uh, she's not in this episode, so we will be talking to her next week and hopefully we will have a, she will have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about magic. We got this e- interesting email from uh, listener James about chaos magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes in, okay, so vision theory. Obviously, now that we know vision isn't real and just a product of Wanda's chaos magic, meaning he can't survive outside her hex, we have to think about how he might get out of this alive. Obviously, uh, the white vision is going to be evil, but what if somehow Wanda's vision is able to phase into the shell of white vision and use it as a vessel to survive outside the hex. I'm not sure how this would work, but it's the best I can come up with right now. But if the Wanda vision can survive, but if the, but if the, if Wanda's vision can't survive outside the heck, then surely neither can Billy or Tommy. But we know that ultimately they have to. This is Wiccan we're talking about after all. So maybe Agatha ends up trapping the twins in the multiverse somewhere. Maybe Doctor Strange 2 will be a heist movie, a rescue mission to find the twins. It would make sense that Agatha has some kind of access to the multiverse, being that she appeared to have plucked Fietro out of it. And with Wanda being untrained, as it were, it would make sense that she ends up ripping it all open. If you can't use a door handle, you smash the door down. Anyway, long theory, but you guys are amazing. Keep up the great work. So... This idea of like what's gonna happen in vision. I mean, my I think the most straightforward thing that might happen is that we get a vision on vision fight and they both die. Uh would be a, a guess. But but vision phases into vision is a kind of fun idea. But what happens to the twins is a is a very interesting question. Do you have any thoughts about that, Anthony? What the question being what whether Vision will live on in White Vision? Actually, the question being, like, will the twin... How will the twins survive? If Vision can't exist outside the Hex, can the twins exist outside the Hex? And if they can't, how can they survive beyond this? Um, I think... Okay. I think... I I think your theory about White Vision being a vessel for Vision to... Not my forward. listeners theory. Listener theory. Yeah, sorry. I think that's a good one. That's sound because she's going to have to battle this thing and I think she's going to have a hard time destroying it because she's already destroyed him once and seen him killed another time and like that's going to be hard on Wanda. But I also don't think we've seen the limit of her powers. Like I said, she's untrained and a lot of this is about her discovering who she is and what she can do. And I think, you know, it's sort of like she's She's learning how to grow things in this hex, but she has also expanded that hex 
exponentially. Mm-hmm. And I could see her developing the power where, yes, they, her children, she can manifest them for real, for real, you know, just drop everything else and put it all into them. And maybe there's a, something with the Nexus where they have to go, you know, pull them from another dimension or something. Maybe, I don't know, but I think she, I think, I think her next move is to level up and like, okay, now, now you can breathe in space. Now you can go beyond the atmosphere of the hex and just live. We should mention that um, in the comic books, like the twins go away because they were created out of the energy of Mephisto, which is why people keep looking for Mephisto everywhere in the show. But they they do go away and then sort of reemerge as teenagers, as young Avengers. So it's possible that the kiddos that we see at the end of this episode do go away. Uh, that's my gentlest way of saying die. Do like, uh, you know, vanish, get reabsorbed, get absorbed into a nightmare or Mephisto summoning spell or something like that. Um, but do reemerge in the larger MCU at a later point. I do, I do like the idea that like, Wanda's training in Doctor Strange 2, if indeed that's what happens, is motivated by her pursuit of her children. It's a really relatable, emotional, personal uh, stakes to put on something like that. Do you know what I mean? Rather than like Mm -hmm. save the multiverse, which I guess is also important. Um, All right. So a couple other things that I want to talk about. Oh, this is this is one of my favorite things to talk about in in this late era Marvel, which is <laughs> Marvel's tendency to make its earlier, rockier properties feel essential. I talk about this all the time as it pertains to Thor: The Dark World in Endgame. Right? We have Thor go back in time to the events of the dark world and have this really emotional conversation with his mom, Freya. And that all of a sudden makes Thor the dark world, which is sort of universally considered one of the rockier MCU films, essential viewing, right? For the larger story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they're doing a similar thing with Ultron <laughs> with this show because Ultron also, also was sort of a bumpy entry. There's plenty has been said about like Joss Whedon's battles with, Marvel with the creative committee, how all of that turned out wound up being just a little choppy, I would say, of Ultron, if I'm on my most sort of charitable days. But like, you know, with flashbacks to Strucker, to Sokovia, to all this sort of stuff, to we have to keep thinking about Pietro's monologue about watch about the red light on the Stark bomb and stuff like that. It suddenly it makes Ultron uh essential viewing and i just i feel like it's this genius thing that kevin feige and the marvel folks do to sort of tighten up their entire universe that they're building here the looser threads they're gonna go back and weave that back in in a way that just makes the whole thing feel tighter knit than it did before um so that's just something i i felt like we got a lot of in this episode you know i agree yeah yeah i think um there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot, but not a lot to like puzzle over. It's much more about revealing and confirming and, yeah. and sh- sort of shoring things up. Um, I've just a few last things before we're going to wrap up for this Friday. Uh, I do want to shout out this line. Um, this really emotional moment when Wanda goes down to see the pieces of vision's body. 
we get a little like Alan Silvestri on the score and she says, um, I can't feel you. Right. Um, you may recall that in infinity war, when vision, uh, uh, tells Wanda, she has to like kill him. He says, you could never hurt me. I just feel you, Hmm. you know? So this just feels like a, like a really poignant echo of that when she says, I can't feel you, um, here, uh, with his, with his, uh, you know, dismantled body, real, real, real. And I thought Elizabeth Olsen was incredible in that, in that moment, uh, and in this episode in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good. She's really a wonderful actress. <laughs> she catches the inner life of this, uh, yeah. um, this being who doesn't understand her power. The, but feels powerless. She feels so hope like, right. When she's standing before that, uh, sword, um, yeah. Uh, reception desk like kind of kind of pulling a little bit of a do you know who I am but yeah. like <laughs> you know she's like the most power one of the most powerful beings in this storybook story universe and she's not the, and she feels like one of the weakest and most overlooked the um the 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 director of swords evil machinations i feel like we've already like pretty well established but like let's just i guess underline it so that people don't think we missed it which is just that like he lied about her taking the body um it's clear that he's just been looking this whole time he's been manipulating her like he manipulated her in that scene uh he's like only you can resurrect you know he wanted her to power vision up right then and there um and she's like no that's not what i'm doing um but that he's been after that that hex juice, that mindstone juice that runs through her uh, this whole time. That's what it, ultimately he uses to power up the the white vision, right? So, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about this that that mindstone thing. This is the last thing I want to talk about before we get into that thing that might people might consider a spoiler, so they can jump off. Um, so, <sighs> Wanda has infused the mindstone. I watched, I watched a bunch of really nerdy videos about the Infinity Stones, uh, before we recorded today. Uh, because uh, some of the stuff that happens in Endgame, I've always been like a little confused by. But essentially at the end of the day in Endgame, uh, Thanos has, has pulverized all of the Infinity Stones. And, uh, Captain America has returned all the Infinity Stones that they took from time back to their original place. Because in this, like, Monolith that I've watched a few times, Tilda Swinton's character, the Ancient One, says, like, if you take a, an Infinity Stone out of where it belongs, you get this branching off reality. Um, a darker timeline, essentially. Um, okay, so Steve has returned all the Infinity Stones to where they belong in the past. In the present, Thanos has pulverized all the Infinity Stones. They still exist in the world, but according to, like, Marvel you know, marvel.com or whatever. They're like at the atomic level. They've been pulverized. So they're like magic still exists in the world to hold everything together, but it's at an, it's like powder. Infinity stone dust is sort of Mm. running the universe at this point. So what does it mean that Wanda can create this mind stone, this faux mind stone or, or whatever mind stone knockoff that sits inside vision's forehead? that she does when she creates him at the end of this episode. 
Yeah, I think it means that's powerful stuff. <laughs> it's heavy uh, to steal a line from uh, Back to the Future. That's heavy. You know, I think, um, is she create? is it like a simulated diamond? You know what I mean? Is it like cubic zirconia? Zirconium. <laughs> yeah. Um, or is it like a real mind stone? Like, I don't, I don't know. It can't be the real one. Like, you can just make multiple mind stones. Can she just keep churning out mind stones uh, ad infinitum? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, my interpretation of it as a viewer was that she had just created vision independent of the mind stone. You know, maybe he has the ornamentation, but like, does it have to be? Does the mechanism have to be the same? I think you because know? the power, the the light and energy that came off of her as she was forming him was that like same yellow, goldy glow. And yeah. since we know that she's just so like powered up by Infinity Stone juice in general, I think mm-hmm. we and and that's sort of what Sword is tapping into as they power up. Uh, white vision i think we are meant to think that this is some sort of like essence of mindstone well my question is like does what she what she does here is that is she doing what sort of the ancient one was talking about which is like plucking a mindstone out of time out of space out of where it's supposed to be and if so is that is that what causes a rift in the multiverse you know is that what enables agatha to pluck Peter out of the Fox universe and put him here. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it. So my problem with this is it starts to get really scrambled. It is kind of like time travel. Like anytime you introduce time travel to a story, it's like why don't you just keep going back in time until you get it exactly right? Like, <laughs> Fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's why you always have to disable the time machine, right? So, <laughs> uh-huh. um, in a way, they need to like. They kind of got to get away from the Infinity Stones because otherwise, like, oh, why don't you just use them to rewind time, right? Like, uh, why don't you use them just to create a different reality? Why don't you just use them for this? Like, they're the get-out-of-jail-free card and you just can't have too many of those. So um, I do think she is going to end up opening doors that she probably shouldn't, opening doors that are going to bring a lot of weird in different things to the MCU. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Evan Peters. <laughs> uh, and yet I think they can't go too far afield with that. The more complicated it gets, the more confusing it gets. And so I think that's sort of uh, my suspicion is that sort of what the multiverse of madness is, is like, it, is it getting a little too confusing and Stephen Strange having to put like a cork back in the bottle? You know yeah, what I mean? I think that's very likely going yeah. to be it, you know? Um, but in the process, I think it'll just start to get confusing because the whole theory of like, we can go back in time and you can steal these infinity stones from time, but then you have to replace them basically at the exact moment you took them just to to smooth over the wrinkles that you've created. And if you don't, then there's an alternate time branch. I think there are going to be a couple of those alternate time branches. They won't have replaced it at exactly the same time. Obviously, Loki made off. And I also think we're underestimating the importance of the Loki season. Totally, totally. I you agree. know, because yeah. he's dealing with an entirely different reality, too. And, like, so how is that going to merge back in uh, to the sort of, like let's say MCU prime. Yeah. Right. 
so he's off in Loki land and like they're gonna maybe that just continues to run parallel to MCU Prime but I think the impulse is going to be to continue trying to weave those back together. Excellent. And and that means again, I think they have to get rid of the Infinity Stones. I it's thought that's like, what they did at the end of Endgame. They were yeah. like the Infinity Stones are done because it's just like too much and so they 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 said that. They're like the Infinity Stones are done. But here we have Wanda. I mean, as you say, it might just be cubic, cubic zirconium uh, edition of the Mind Stone. But like, we're once again tinkering with Infinity Stone powers. Uh, you know, so I, I also thought we were done. I don't want to be back here because I feel like it, it, this is a, Infinity Stones present a barrier of entry to people who want to enjoy Marvel. That's been my experience before that they get, they like, their eyes tend to glaze over once you start talking about Infinity Stones. So, um, that's why I want to save it to the end here. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you say before this one last thing that I want to talk about? No, I think we're good. I think we covered it. Okay. Um, so yeah, unless anybody wants some more cicada talk, I'm always <laughs> done. <laughs> uh, cicada cast. Uh, so here's our last um, thing we're going to talk about. And, and please do feel free to jump. I'm not sure I consider this a spoiler because I'm not even sure it's going to happen. But I just think it's interesting. Um, so David Langle, the actor David Langle, who plays, uh, Phil Jones, uh, whose real name is Harold Proctor, um, mm-hmm. uh, posted a, uh, a thing on Twitter at Dave Langle of him in old age makeup. So he's got the film mustache. Um, we saw Phil in this episode hanging up a flyer for piano lessons, I believe it was. He's got the film mustache, but, uh, he's otherwise in extremely old age makeup. And by extremely old, I would say like what, seventies, eighties, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so what does this mean? Uh, this could be a completely different project because I, I, just don't i mean he posted this so long ago like february 15th i just can't if this were integral to the plot i can't believe that marvel would let him keep this up this long uh so maybe it's just something else that this actor's doing Howevs, because he's also on some other things like bosh Howevs, uh if it is a wandavision thing let's 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 think this through um what does he have the luigi uh Mustache and yep. Bosch. Oh, and Bosch. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's his normal uh, uh, lip adornment. But um, if Phil and perhaps some other residents of Westview uh, start looking a lot older, uh, is someone or something draining them of their life force? Is it Agatha, who we've seen as like a magic eater type of draining force? Is it just existing in the hex? Um, is it something else? Do you have any thoughts or feelings about this, Anthony? Well, when we first looked at it, I kind of thought, well, is there going to be like a, like a cap type storyline here where maybe she's just like doubles down and I'm going to live in this hex and we're going to live, everybody's going to live to live a long life. And then there's some sort of rewind perhaps that happens. Cause as you've pointed out, she's in. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I think they're going to continue to use Wanda and other stories going forward. But like, is she going to just say, I'll do that, but like, give me a life here and let me just sort of live it out. And then I'll backtrack, you know, I'll catch you. I'll catch you back in the, in whatever year we are in, in the MCU. But like, 
Yeah, that seems a little. That's I. I always try to temper my theories by thinking, how complicated does Marvel want to get with this? Um, I think this show will give us gives us fantasy sequences and gives us uh, alternate versions of how things can play out. And like maybe there's a me- maybe it's like draining. See, but Agatha seems to feed off of magic. She doesn't just seem to feed off of life force, you know? And when she takes it, they turn into sort of desiccated mummies rather than old people. So I don't, I don't, is it okay to say, I don't think that of she course. turns him old. Of course yeah, it is. Of course it is. I don't, um, I don't think she turns him act- old, but I think they, they age somehow. Like something happens where, you know, like they get a reunion episode or something. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Here's here's my thinking. Someone someone or something is putting uh, you know, there was all that talk in the nineties episode, uh, when when Agnes is puppeteering Pietro and he's grilling Wanda and he's like, No, you did a pretty good job. Like you you know, you you kept couples together, you let the kids sleep when they're not on stage, like you know, everyone seems to have like a slightly better life. You made what, you know, we certainly see that she improved Westview, which was a very like dilapidated town, right? Like, you know, it's a victimless crime sort of thing. And Wanda's like, really? You think I did okay? Like, cause Wanda, it doesn't, you know, you don't get the sense that Wanda wants to like hurt the residents here. She just mm-hmm. wants to have her fantasy and, and like, Hey, and you guys get a better life too. So it's a win win, right? So I think that Wanda is the type of uh, good witch, right? Where she will want to have her hex fantasy until she sees an actual cost to these innocent people that are caught, you know, caught up in this bubble with her, right? And, um, so, uh, if, if she, is, she doesn't want to cause harm to people, if, so I think, yeah, if the members, if the, if the, if the residents of Westview start aging, because let's say being in the hex is a strain on them, let's just say that, uh, if, if, if you don't want to buy it to Agatha, that's fine. Here's my last, like, big, big swing idea. <laughs> this is, this is a rumor. It's, I have no foundation for it. There's a rumor that before all is said and done in next week's episode, we're going to get one more. You know the sequences from the X-Men movies where Quicksilver, like, saves everyone yeah, those are great. while one song plays. What if he just, like, whooshes everyone out of the hex uh, while some dream theme song plays? Hmm. Uh That'd be cool. To save them? I'm down for that. I like those sequences. Right. Do you think he's the better Quicksilver? I don't think it's really fair. You mean like enjoyable performance-wise? Yeah. Like the way they – so the way they did Quicksilver in Ultron, you know, he was fast. <laughs> and like <laughs> he moved fast. Uh, and I feel like the, the, the Quicksilver that they put in the X-Men movies, he moves slow, right? That they have him – Everybody else is frozen, essentially, and he runs around and sort of, like, lives in this frozen moment in time. He's so fast. We see him at his speed. Yeah. And his speed is, like, is so quick that it can't even be fathomed. And he's moving, but just because kind of, he's not rushing, you know? And I love, I actually love those sequences. I think they're really fun. No, I love them, too. And that's why I'm, like... That's why I'm tempted to buy this notion that we will get one in the finale because 
here's what who here's who I think Kevin Feige is. I think Kevin Feige is a, is a guy who was like really content with having an extremely successful franchise with all the toys that he had in his toy chest, but he wanted all the toys and he got Spider-Man and he's gotten the X-Men and he's going to use them. Not in like a, not in a, he wouldn't be happy if he didn't get them. He's just sort of like, but I want them. Right. And I think I could do a good job with them. And I think that's borne out in the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's looked at the toys that in large part were wasted in the Fox X-Men franchise, which had increasingly diminishing returns and was yes. like, I, I see which toys in that box I want to play with. And I bet you everything I own that if I'm Kevin Feige and I'm watching those movies, doing a Quicksilver, uh, pop music moment is high on my list. Those are just fun. Yeah. Those are moments in those movies. He knows what that works. actually yeah. work. You know what I mean? And so he's like, I want to do one of those. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think. I think I think we're gonna get one. I think that's why uh, a reason why Evan Peters is here, among other reasons. And um, so that's that's the swing I'm taking. Al Pacino, I don't know, but uh, Evan Peters saving uh, the you know uh, drained <laughs> residents of Westview. I, I'd like to see it. So there you go. All right. Any other last wild uh, theories or ideas you want to throw out there before we? Uh, until we don't speak again until this is all wrapped up. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the real question here is Monica Rambeau, right? Like, we didn't see mm. her. Mm -hmm. uh, last we saw was in the post credit or mid credit sequence last week where uh, Quicksilver catches her looking into the, uh, into the basement of Agatha's place. We didn't see her at all this episode. And then you and I were discussing before the pod, like about how we have uh, uh, a question about whether she is spectrum or photon yeah, you know, she has had the mantle of both heroes in the the Marvel comics. So, which one will she develop here? We clearly saw her uh, in her third journey through the hex become superpowered. We saw an origin story there. So, uh, and when she emerged, she saw these weird spectrums from coming from everything. So, I was kind of leaning towards Spectrum, but of course, she could be Photon powers are slightly different but she i think we're gonna see a lot more of her uh hopefully in this final episode she's the hero right she's the avatar for the audience that's guiding us through this and she, uh, you know since wanda is sort of mesmerized throughout a lot of this show even though she's the main character uh like monica's like the uh what is it the catalyst right that that sort of uh will snap her out of it i think we're gonna see those two team up and that's why I think we're going to have two of them, and it's not going to be two of them versus Agatha. I think it's going to be the two of them versus Agatha and Dottie. Okay. Conversely, mm -hmm. I think it – oh, interesting. I was thinking it would be Dottie coming to help Wanda versus Agatha. Hmm. Because uh, we don't know if, if Dottie's a good witch or a bad witch, right? Uh, and uh, while Vision is hmm. fighting Vision. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I kind of thought she'd be aligned with the witchy powers, like part of a, a new coven, but like, yeah, all right. Yeah, she's not a, necessarily an evil character in the in the comics, so. I think she might be, she like, might be like uh, our 11th hour, I mean, people think Stephen Strange might also be our 11th hour help, but I think like when things look dire for Wanda, 
Dottie swooping in might be something that could mm-hmm. happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I would like to see it. Emma Caulfield, we love you. We we will talk to you next week. Um, all right. Anything else uh, before we go? That covers it for me. We did it. Cicada talk and all. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, Anthony, until, until we're back for the finale, where can folks find you? People can find me on cicada.com. I have a <laughs> blog there writing about all the latest. <laughs> and at vanityfair.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find Richard on Twitter at Rylaws. And we will be back next week with the lovely Emma Caulfield and all of our WandaVision thoughts and feelings. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.